<laughs> All right. So I want to start out by telling a funny story because I don't, I, don't, I don't know if it's the heat. I'm just going to blame it on the heat, but I've been a little bit of a scatterbrain lately. And uh, so, <laughs> Tracy. I just know it's got to be close. <laughs> something. <laughs> well, so uh, the other day, somebody called and said, hey, can you get out to this location? I want you to do some surveillance and blah, blah, blah. And I ran out and I forgot my wallet at home. And I got to the gas station, like, I don't know, 20 minutes from my house. And I pulled up to the pump and I went to fill up my tank and um, I didn't have my card, so I couldn't get gas. And I thought, oh, well, you know, I'll just try to make it back home and go get my wallet. And at this point, I'm running extremely late. The person that wanted me at this place is getting irritated with me. But um, <laughs> Tracy, zip it. <laughs> Oh, okay. Anyway. Um, so I called my, my, uh, roadside assistants and they said it would be a couple hours and, um, it, it ran over a couple hours. I sat there in the 95 degree heat. My, of course I didn't have air conditioning cause I couldn't run my car and I'm like sweating profusely. And, um, after two hours, the roadside assistance guy calls me and he says, um, I'm still about 30 minutes out and I'm like, God, the freaking hell, you know, I'm pissed. And, uh, shortly after that, um, a Williamson County Sheriff's deputy pulled up and, uh, gets out of his car and, um, comes over to help me. And, and I, so I canceled my roadside and I'm like, all right, well, he says to me before he lets me get in the back of his patrol car, he said, um, before you get in the back of my car, I have to ask you, do you have any warrants? He said, because if you do, I'll have to arrest you. And I said, no, sir, I don't have any warrants. I said, um, but I like to bust crooked cops. Are you crooked? <laughs> <laughs> so Anyway, I think he kind of got a kick out of that. I mean, I, maybe he didn't know what to think of, but he did, but he did kind of chuckle. Did he understand who you were at that well, point? Well, I, I did explain that and yeah okay so I, I ended up explaining it but now it was, I'm I got to tell you something because mama's coming out and she's pissed what why in the hell didn't you call me I would have sent you some money and you could have gotten it well, you didn't I, have to have your wallet don't you have apple pay I thought I could well I I thought I could make it home I know how you do that we're driving along, driving along, driving along. Bing! It's dark. It's in the we hour. Not my phone. I'm a cold morning. Remember that? And, and yeah. And and I said the, the light turns amber. And I go, uh, and it bings. And I go, um, I think we're and you go, oh, don't worry. Just like this. That's just the gas. <laughs> it's not my phone <laughs> and I said do you think we can make it at home and you go oh yeah sure oh, yeah we're how fine. far did we, on a cold this time it was cold <laughs> and I had to go to the restroom and you luckily you had somebody come out and save us that night yeah but um how far were we from the house I don't know but 
<laughs> I don't, I don't know, but, um, but I will say that, um, I think I'm frozen. Am I frozen? You are frozen. I'm frozen. Am I'm I frozen? Cold and ice as ice. <laughs> will in the sack. At least you're not frozen like this. <laughs> right. Your eyes are open. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So um, today I wanted to discuss some updates in the Gary Sutton case. Um, we can talk about some other cases too. Uh, just, you know, little uh, mentions here and there, but that's the main case I wanted to talk about today. Why am I frozen? Does Linda want to say anything or? I don't know. Linda is, um, I, I was looking to see, I don't think she's even connected to audio. Okay. Yeah. But what is going on with my. Undo your audio and then click it again. There we go. Okay, cool. I just didn't want to be frozen. Um, so yeah, when what was about three months ago, we did a podcast called A Plea uh, from Death Row, I think is what it was called. It was kind of an introduction to the case, but I just want you guys to know, I have two ginormous um, Tupperware boxes, like big Tupperware boxes full of these. These are transcripts. So I I had a lot of catching up to do before I could really give my honest opinion or um, really say much of anything about the case. Um, Gary was, I mean, just hands down, it was a wrongful conviction. He's been in there for 30 years now. And just in the last um, couple months, I've gotten some statements from witnesses that have just really um, made it clear to me that there, that this, this, the whole trial was not right. Now, I just want to discuss some of those things with you today. Um, I wonder if I can share my screen. Oh yeah. Look. Okay. 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 Advanced sharing options. It's only all participants. Okay. Here we go. Oh, oh Vita. Did you see Vita? Oh, you see, yeah, she's right behind me. <laughs> <laughs> um okay so I don't I don't know how to do this but I I want to pull up my report and just kind of go over some of these things I did actually make a um a video about this case as well I'll have to find that and share it after we get done with this podcast but um I guess I'll start with the summary of the case on February 24th, 1992, the body of Mr. Tommy Griffin was discovered on the riverbank of Sevierville, Tennessee from a shotgun blast to the head. His sister, Connie Branham, was discovered in the next county over burned alive in her car. And just four 
short days after Tommy's body was found. When investigators began to retrace the steps of these victims, they learned that the defendants, Gary Sutton and his uncle, James Dillinger, had allegedly been seen with both the victims prior to their being murdered. Naturally, and without knowing information exposed through the investigation, any person on the outside looking in would believe that Sutton and Dillinger had acted together to commit this gruesome act. However, 30 years later, with execution just around the corner, Sutton, who has consistently maintained his innocence, has finally obtained the evidence necessary to prove that there are other possible suspects with motive and that the investigators who took the utilitarian approach to achieve what they believed was justice have made dire mistakes, which has caused another innocent life to be lost. Um, Not just them did they make the mistake, but in the trial, there were mistakes made. Right, 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 exactly. Um, Jury especially, yeah. I think that, um, you know, the utilitarian approach is a really common approach, I think, when it comes to law enforcement and, and, you know, all the way to the prosecution and, you know, and beyond all the way through the, through the trial and, um, it's really sad because it's, it's kind of, you know, it's playing God. It's, um, you know, if, if the investigator or the prosecution has made up their mind, you know, and, and just basically, um, will do anything they need to do to, to get the conviction. Um, they may think that, um, it's the noble thing or that it's the right thing, but, it's just, it's just not right. I don't, if you have to do anything that is, you know, less than honest to, to gain a conviction, it just, it, it's just, it just shouldn't happen. So making the facts fit the situation instead of the facts bringing right. you to what's going right. on. It's exactly. Just, yeah. It's, it's happened. I would like to say it happened because it was so long ago, but as we know, it's still, it's still happening. Still happening. Um, during the pre-trial phase, defense attorneys F.D. Gibson and John Gorgon. Um, F.D. Gibson was for Sutton, and Gorgon was for uh, Dillinger. Um, they raised the issue with the court pertaining to their lack of experience in criminal, particularly capital murder cases. The court refused to relieve them and find better, more competent attorneys to represent the accused. Not to say that they weren't competent in what they were used to doing, but certainly they were admitting um, on record that, that they did not feel competent to try this case. They did not want these men's lives in their hands because they knew that they did not have the experience that that they needed to uh, provide a uh, adequate defense. And the court used that to their advantage. I believe they did. I believe they did. Oh, so, yeah. Though the pair certainly gave it their very best effort, ultimately, they were unable to overcome the bias that was so blatantly dis displayed throughout the entire judicial process. Um, transcripts, all these transcripts, um, uh, transcripts of the trial and subsequent hearings reveal non-truths told by lead investigators under oath in pursuit of search warrants, jury tampering, and coercion of witnesses. In fact, 
the complete lack of integrity displayed by investigators combined with the court's compliance to allow evidence in that should have been stricken caused the defendants to be faced with a set of prejudices that was impossible to overcome. And here are just a few examples of such occurrences. Now, before I get into these, I just want to say that, you know, I have, I, this is something that um, the more um, that I see of this in my job, the more that I am learning of, of um, unfair trials and, and possible wrongful convictions, and the more that I'm seeing, you know, just blatant um, unethical behavior on behalf of investigators and, and just, it, it's frightening to me because I think that, I mean, it's almost worse. I mean, it's, it's almost worse to have your life taken away, to be incarcerated um, and, you know, either put on, whether you're put on death row or sentenced to life in prison, either way, your life has been, you know, just stripped away and, you know, to, to be, convicted of something that you didn't do to be um, found guilty of a murder that you didn't commit. I think that that is, um, man, that's gotta be one of my worst fears. You know, I think that that is just one of the worst things that could possibly happen to a human being you know yeah manufacturing of um evidence hasn't happened before now has it have never never <laughs> yeah i mean but to like just sit in prison day in and day out and know that you did not commit this crime but you know 30 years of just sitting there staring at jail cells and uh, it's just it's just it's horrific to me it's it's absolutely horrific to me um so um, the examples of such occurrences, and like I said before, we had done sort of an introduction to this case in a previous podcast, but at this point, I'm speaking with confidence because I've done my due diligence, I've done my homework, and I know that, you know, that, that everything I'm saying is, is fact. It's not just coming from the family of the defendants. It's not just, you know, I've, I've made sure to validate, um, the things that they've said. So we go over the new evidence. Yes. Yes. We will go over some, yeah, we'll definitely go over some of that. Cause that's the most, to me, that's the most eye-opening part. Oh, as absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I've, I've been able to uncover some new evidence in this case that I think is really really pertinent is just if it does not get this man exonerated or at least get him a new trial then I I don't know what what could I mean aside from somebody just saying he didn't do it I did I mean it's 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 uncanny it's just it, it it's it's mind-blowing it's absolutely mind-blowing so but it also shows what goes on at every trial especially when the jury thing really got me Mm-hmm. And that just shows you, you know how that goes on in all right. of them. Well, I've even got a, um, I have an alternate theory of what, of 
what could have happened. And, and I want to talk about that a little bit. I didn't put that in my memo that you've read, Tracy, but, but I do want to talk about that a little bit because my mind is just kind of, and, and it helps me to discuss it too, because um, when I hear it coming out of my mouth and can piece it together, sometimes parts of it that I haven't quite, you know, the, the pieces that I haven't quite found where they belong, like fall into place as I'm talking. So, um, so this is partly for me as well, but, um, so one example, my first example that I, that I want to mention is that, uh, it was what I already mentioned, you know, Sutton's attorneys acknowledged that they lacked experience in homicide cases and requested to be relieved of their duties to the clients. The court denied their request. Um, key witness, Dr. Charles Harlan, this is a huge one like how they didn't immediately overturn this case and give them a mistrial I don't know but key witness Dr. Charles Harlan who was responsible for establishing the time and date of the death of the victim was in being investigated by the TBI at the time of this trial he later lost his medical license, causing several cases that he had testified in to be overturned. And though the defense, uh, the defense's forensic expert adamantly disagreed with Harlan's testimony. Um, let's just stop right there. We should mention, I think, who the defense's forensic expert was. Tracy? Yes. You, you remember who it was? The forensic, I don't remember, but I can The guy that, the founder of the body farm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is no, uh, you know, this is no second rate expert. Now that's that, who, that he was for the defense, correct? Yes. Yeah. He, yeah, that the, he was the founder of the body farm. Um, gosh, I had a, a lengthy discussion with, um, with people who, who have gone there. I myself wanted to go to the body farm this body farm we're talking about is in um knoxville mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because there are other colleges that have that type of um right program but this but individual um is so respected in this line of work in this field and i mean he's just one of the um top experts in the country and he adamantly disagreed with Harlan's testimony in this case, but the court refused to acknowledge the possibility that Harlan's report was inaccurate because if it did, it would change the outcome of the entire case. Whether or not the defendants could possibly have been the perpetrators of this crime relied heavily upon the timeline created and sworn to by this discredited witness and expert. bill bass is the uh the other bill right. bass bill, bill bass. bass yes yep so um on to number three although the victim had been arrested on public intoxication charges on the same night in question the same night that they say he was murdered he was arrested on public intoxication charges um, the arresting officer, Officer Roberts, failed to get the names of the two older gentlemen that were driving a dark pickup truck that the victim was with at the time that he was arrested. And to date, these men have never been identified, but arguably should have been sought out for questioning and considered suspects. 
he was sitting on the tailgate. The victim was sitting on the tailgate of this pickup right. truck. And, and there's and these other two men. That the right. two men that were with, were not the defendants. No. It was not, it was not Dillinger. It was not Sutton. And they uh, never got the names, uh, witness, nothing. But right. of course the victim was alive at that time. So it might right. not have been a reason that he didn't get them. However, why, if you're going to arrest somebody, get the witnesses names and well, and I, and I disagree that there wasn't a reason because, you know, reading the transcripts, the officer um, claims that Sutton or that not Sutton, sorry, um, that the victim, Tommy Griffin, um, was behaving strangely, like he was acting like he was scared. Um, right, right. So yeah. If he was behaving, if he was acting like he was afraid to say something, then, you know, I think it would be a reasonable um assumption that the person or people that he was afraid of were there and right so at least get the, the get the number of the truck tag mm -hmm. anything but he all right. he could remember was it was a, a dark. dark colored black pickup truck or a mm -hmm. black i thought he said black but i i can't totally mm -hmm. you read the transcripts but right it was dark and black whatever dark whatever it was it was and it was on the it was on a highway a major highway um it was not on a high it was off of it was off of a um exit but still um regardless i do think that it was a that was probably one of the first mistakes um made by law enforcement in this case um was not figuring out who those men were. And I think that I myself, if I was, if, if that was me and, and, and I legitimately thought this person was afraid of, you know, something was afraid of answering my questions, I would have to assume that the person that he was afraid, you know, that he was afraid to answer the questions because of somebody that was there. Um, so anyway, um, moving on, uh, family members of the victim were seen talking to the jurors when the person who witnessed the, uh, when, I'm sorry, when the person who witnessed this informed mm -hmm. the judge that she saw the jurors talking to the victim's family, the judge replied, I think it'll be okay. Right. Which it's not okay in no. any way, shape or form. Right. Whether he it's not it's no no it's not so lead investigator detective widener was confronted on the stand by the judge i've read the transcripts i've seen it for myself this is true um that the judge confronted him for lying in an affidavit about having two eyewitnesses that claimed to have seen the defendants at the crime scene it was that false testimony that gave him grounds for the search warrant at Dillinger's trailer. Um, so moving on to number six, and I, I, we're going to talk a little bit more about that because there is um, actually something else about that that is relevant, but we'll, we'll circle back around to that one. So when, when confronted with the possibility, last but not least, when confronted with the possibility of separating the defendants in order to ensure that they both received a fair trial, the state told the judge that if they did that, they would have to let Mr. Sutton go 
because they had no evidence tying Mr. Sutton directly to the crime. Um, so despite discrepancies, Sutton and Dillinger were convicted on first degree murder charges in Blount County uh, Circuit Court on September 5th, 1996. On appeal, the defendants raised the following issues of consti the constitutionality of the indictments and the issue of separate jury trials. Um, the appellate court uh, denied their their motion. So are we going to are you getting ready? I know I'm, I'm interrupting yeah. because new evidence, new evidence. <laughs> well, the jury thing is so important because there's so many jurors that, um, that to me, it's, it's just very, I know it's all important. I'm not saying it's not, but that is just number one. Uh, the jury was seen talking to the victim's family. Number two, I haven't, we, you haven't gotten to, but there are several, number two, I'm not going to say it, you say it, but oh, I'm not going to say, right. say it, new evidence, right, I got you, okay, so um, I spoke with, uh, I went to the homes of the jurors, I spoke with all of the jurors, um, except for, um, uh, two which are deceased and then there's there's some discrepancy um with <laughs> one of the jurors that's listed when I talked to her she said she was released and I don't know who replaced her but it's very bizarre to me um so I can't figure out who the 12th juror even was um so that's that's a whole other thing I need to work on but um it's very bizarre but um, we, when I spoke with the jurors, one of the jurors told me that she was the last juror to sign the guilty verdict and that she had been talked into it by a friend who was also on the jury. Um, now, is, is that allowed to have friends that are on the same jury? I guess, I guess you can. I was actually in a jury I didn't get, I, mean, I don't think you're supposed to know, but, but I had a friend that I knew and, um, because I'm, you know, I'm everybody in my family was law enforcement. Mm -hmm. They didn't want me as a juror. However, right. um, I was in there with somebody that we used to two couples and went out all the time. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I'm not, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. It's, it, I would think it's a, it could be an appeal issue. Well, yeah, it could be. Um, I think it's uh, compared to everything else that we've got. I think it's pretty minor. I mean, it's, it's big, but compared to, <laughs> comparatively it's small potatoes. Um, but then, and see, I, I'm not going to say any names right now because, um, but I just, I just want to stress uh, to the public how badly this trial and this investigation was handled. Um, another juror said that um, while they were deliberating on the final day that there was a woman who was becoming very agitated. Um, 
with any jurors who were asking questions that this woman demanded that everybody find him guilty and stop asking questions so that they could go home. Um, another juror said that the uh, prosecute the state um, drove them by the crime scene, like went out of their way to drive them by the crime scene on the way to and from court every single day. Yep. Um, and that she felt like that, you know, did influence her in some way that it was very difficult to, you know, be there hearing about all these things that had supposedly happened and then to drive by the crime scene that you couldn't help but to, to, uh, you know, have this visual every time you drove by and you're not supposed to the judges usually if if you read the judges um i'm sure it's in the the file the judges instructions are don't discuss it don't see anything on social media which there's no social media back then but don't watch tv yet mm -hmm. you're driving by don't investigate on your own that's mm -hmm. almost like investigating on your own well going yeah. every arguably, day arguably it's it's it seems like yeah. something not quite right about that mm -hmm. um so then um one of the witnesses one of their one of their key witnesses um told me that she felt like um you know she when when the detective showed her um the dillinger's white truck uh that she said it looked like his truck but she wasn't sure she was never sure and she really felt like they put that forth like it was a sure thing and and she just she has a hard time sleeping at night thinking that her testimony may have played a part in this man you know potentially being executed I mean he's set currently to be executed if um the new evidence and everything that we have put together um doesn't succeed and um and he isn't exonerated or granted a new trial then he will be executed yeah and the fact um, that they pushed and 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 exact not ex exaggerated mm -hmm. I don't know. Fabricated, not even fabricated. Yeah. Exaggerated is too light of a word. Fabricated that she, oh, she, she said this was the truck compared to, she said it could be the truck. Well, and it gets even better than that because so Dillinger drove a white Dodge Ram with um, the Dodge emblem on the hubcaps. Um, and Okay, put a pin in that. Remember that. I'm going to come back to it. So then I had this other witness that this, this particular witness was a key witness um, because he lived near the blue hole where um, Tommy was shot and killed. And he had heard three shots. Um, and so they used his testimony to also to try to pin down the date and time. But what is extremely interesting about the testimony, the statement that he provided to me is that he goes on to tell me that he saw a um, dark colored boxy um, vehicle that resembled like a, an old Cadillac or an Oldsmobile. And um, I actually went back to his house with a picture of Gary Sutton's 
um, Camaro, just to clarify, I mean, that doesn't sound like a Camaro to me, but I had to get it straight from him. I showed him a picture of the Camaro and I said, um, could it have been this vehicle? And he said, no, definitely not. So, you know, and, and, and I already knew that cause I, you know, Camaro is not boxy. Um, but, but I showed him Gary Sutton's vehicle and he said, no, absolutely not. So a boxy style, you know, boxy shaped, um, dark vehicle wouldn't be Dillinger's white truck and wouldn't be Sutton's, um, Camaro. So then who would that be? That is the vehicle that he saw fleeing the scene just after hearing the shots. And I specifically asked him if, if, uh, if that was discussed in his testimony, if, if that was brought up and he said no. So that is something that I feel that they deliberately left out, um, which would, all, you know, which would be exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And which would be considered exculpatory evidence that was, you know, not, not revealed on top of that. It so, didn't play into their hand. It, it did not, it did not fit their, uh, their narrative. Right. So in addition to that, um, Gary, uh, I'm sorry, James Dillinger drove the white Dodge Ram with the emblems. Okay. So, um, I found out that, um, we know that there were actually two other suspects with motive. Um, and that one of those two suspects also drove a white pickup truck. Um, his was a Dodge D100, um, boxy, you know, boxy shaped truck, uh, older model. And when I, I, after I, you know, after I learned that that suspect also drove a white truck, I went back to the witness's house that had seen the white truck, but wasn't sure if it was the same white truck shown to her by the detectives that belonged to James Dillinger, I went back to her and I showed her that, that photo again. And I said, um, I'm sorry, I showed her a photo of a D 100. And I said, could it have been this truck? And she said, I'm not sure. I mean, she's just, so she wasn't sure. She wasn't sure then let alone now. And I said, well, I said, let me ask you something. I said, do you recall um, anything uh, distinct about the truck you saw? Like, for instance, did there happen to be Dodge emblems on the uh, Dodge logo emblems on the hubcaps? And she said, I don't remember seeing that. Well, I think that was a very distinct feature. And I think that if, hello. I'm on a zoom. <laughs> um, I think that if, um, good one. <laughs> I think that if it was Dillinger's truck with the emblems, I think that that is something that very much would have been, um, zoned in on because it would have specified, it would have been something that could have, um, uh, really put it in stone that it was Dillinger's truck but the fact that that was never mentioned and the fact that that you know it was just oh it was just a white truck with a toolbox in the back well yeah that's very 
That's uh, like every truck in Tennessee, is it not? <laughs> yeah, because uh, the number one work truck right. that people purchase are, and not just in Tennessee, right. it's the white truck because right. it's the cheapest with paint and it's the, um, you get a fleet of trucks and they're usually all white trucks unless you have some type of emblem or thing going on but yep. that is the number one construction truck yes everything yeah and that's probably pretty much and that's a this was from Knox, knoxville tennessee this Sever is a knox severeville severe oh which is blunt county yeah closer to dolly dollywood mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah pigeon forge okay yeah gatlinburg area mm-hmm mm -hmm. So yeah, it um, it's crazy with between the witnesses and the um, between the witnesses and um, the the jurors. It's just right. it's totally ridiculous. Right. Have that going on. It's just a what do they call that? A, a not a clown court, but a mockery, huh? A circus, like. Oh, I thought you said you said clown court, and I'm thinking like mock <laughs> mock trial. No, 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 no. Okay, so now I just kind of want to, you know, when you take the previously raised issues and you kind of smash them together with the new evidence, um, and just kind of this this is what we get. Um, so these are the relevant facts, as you know, as I. Um, this is just kind of everything smushed together. Um, defendant Sutton and the victim Tommy Griffin were close friends. Defendant Dillinger is defendant is defendant Sutton's uncle. Um, <clears throat> the victim and his sister lived in trailers uh, near close to um, the same area that Dillinger and Sutton lived. Um, and Dillinger, okay, this is this is key. This is kind of a big deal. Because I think this is what um essentially uh gave motive to um Dillinger. So prior to the night in question, defendant Dillinger's trailer was shot up and he filed a police report stating that he believed that he knew who it was because the victim's brother and he had bad blood. Um, his brother was James. Um, later, detectives claimed to have found spent shells at Dillinger's trailer that matched the shells found at the crime scene. Now, I want to bring you back to uh, the issue of the, um, the illegal search warrant, okay? Right, right, because it was that it was that illegal search warrant that led them to find these spent shells. So, I mean, technically that search warrant should have been thrown out. You know, any evidence found from that search warrant should have been thrown out any damn way, but um, it wasn't. So, you know, being that it wasn't, I raised the question of who's to say that the person that shot at James's trailer, James Dillinger's trailer, is not the same person that shot and killed Tommy Griffin, and that those spent shells were not from 
Dillinger's gun or shotgun or whatever. I have a question. I have a question. Yes, ma'am. At the scene of the shot up trailer, did they find spent shells? Yes, that's what I'm saying. At the scene of the other person's death, did they find the victim's death? Did they find spent shells? Yes. So why did they spent shells at, at the at that person's trailer? I mean, it was, he's not going to collect them. Those would be shells that he had from some other place. Well, you know what? why would he it's, it, I, I, it's it's difficult to kind of wrap your head around and um and i'm i just want to make sure you're understanding what i'm saying the def, the defendant sutton who's been charged with this murder mm-hmm. his trailer was shot up you got okay. that that's okay. what we're talking about so his okay. trailer got shot up not All long right. before tommy griffin was killed okay and when they got that illegal search warrant and found these spent shells at Dillinger's at the defendant's trailer, I'm the question I'm raising. The issue I'm raising is how, how can they say with certainty that those shells they found wasn't the same person, which, which leads into my alternate theory that whoever killed Tommy Sutton and Connie Branham also had it out for James Dillinger that's that's kind of what i was confused at okay so they're saying dillinger shot up um, no 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 dillinger's trailer was shot up okay right and when dillinger made his police report he said he thought he he knew who did it he believed that tommy's brother did it because they had some sort of bad rock, blood, which is what, um, which is what, and you know, essentially created the motive. So where did they find this? Where was the illegal search done? And they found spent shells at Dillinger's trailer where it was shot up. And the spent shells were, they think, from whose gun? Well, they were saying they were from. Dillinger's gun because Dillinger did he did um tend to uh shoot his weapon shoot his guns on his property from what so, I right so so the, but it but I'm just saying how would they know which ones were from him just doing some target practice in his in his yard um and I'm doing this but it was a shotgun right but, right well, um how can they tell which ones were, and this is just, this is just my question with their investigation. You know, it's just me questioning their investigation. Right. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, I think it's, it's, I don't think that, that they can rightfully say for sure, you know, knowing and with there being, you know, documented proof that Dillinger's trailer was shot up recently before that, like, you know, how do they know that the spent shells they found weren't from that? Exactly. That makes no sense. That makes no sense. Which brings me back around also to the two men that were never identified. And, and the, the shells that they found elsewhere. So the men shot up and, and there's shells there. And then they shot the victim and those shells could very well be the shells that they, the 
person shot up the the trailer with. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, so so um okay, moving on. Um, you know, the victim and both defendants had gone to Howie's hideaway lounge for adult beverages on the day in question. Um, barmaid Jamie Carr testified that the trio arrived around between 2.30 and 3 and that they were still there when she when her shift was over at 5 p.m. Miss Carr also testified that the men seemed to be getting, getting along fine and that she did not witness anything out of the ordinary about them on this day. Miss Carr testified that the men drank about four beers each during her shift and that defendant Dillinger paid for all of the drinks. I cannot get over that. Like who, <laughs> who takes somebody out for drinks and pays for all their drinks and then kills them? Like, I just, I just don't, I can't, like, it doesn't make any sense. You know, like nobody seemed to have seen any sort of odd or confrontational behavior going on between them they seemed fine they were getting along they shot not typical human behavior that's just that's not how typical yeah i mean maybe on some tv show where it's somebody that's a paid hired hitman from another country that comes in and is suave and buys target drinks and gets them drunk and then kills them but yeah that's just not not these words standard what this backwards good old boys they weren't right they're not good (laughs) you know um so miss carr testified okay i already already said that part um miss carr was not able again again she was not able to positively uh positively identify Sutton's Chevy Camaro as the vehicle that they arrived in at Howie's hideaway lounge on the day in question. The barmaid that relieved Miss Carr, Terry Lilly, testified that the men stayed for about another hour and a half to two hours and that she did not witness any confrontational between them either. Um, Unfortunately, both of these ladies are deceased. So I have not been able to speak to them directly, but Miss Lily testified that the men drank two to three beers each before leaving around 7 p.m. And again, that Dillinger paid for all of those drinks. Um, later that night, as I said before, Tommy Griffin was picked up off the side of the road and arrested for public intoxication. The arresting officer, Officer Roberts, testified that Griffin was at that time with two older gentlemen who he later clarifies that older to him was in their fifties. Um, and you know, it specifically that it was not Dillinger, um, or Sutton. Um, uh, I don't believe that anyone's ever, um, asserted that it was, um, Griffin, according to his testimony, uh, acted scared and refused to tell the officer what had happened. Those two men have never been identified and should have been considered suspects. Detective Widener committed perjury by claiming to have two eyewitnesses who could place the defendants at the crime scene, yet evidence from that search warrant obtained, uh, evidence obtained from the search warrant was not stricken. It was that search warrant that- It was that search warrant that produced the shells that should have been in question due to the previous innocent of Dillinger's truck being shot at. Uh, Number 12, 
Agent Davenport of the TBI violated Sutton's constitutional rights and committed perjury when he pulled Sutton out of his jail cell, despite his attorney at the time, David Webb's statement to them that no one was allowed to speak to him outside of his presence. He also forged the name of another deputy who uh, accompanied him that day. Um, then we've got our witness who claimed to have seen a dark col dark color boxy vehicle fleeing the crime scene. <laughs> fleeing the crime scene. Fleeing the cream scene. Oh boy, <laughs> I just had a weird visual on that one. <laughs> yeah, oh the crime scene after hearing three shots fired. This description does not match either defendant's vehicles, but it does match the description of the vehicle that Sutton has described the victim leaving in with a, sorry, guys don't mean to be politically incorrect, but Sutton says a fat, ugly woman. Okay. And um, it wasn't me. I was young then. <laughs> shut up, Tracy. Come on. You're not fat or ugly. But I'm saying, you know, okay, so it just, there's so much in question here. You know, I mean, defendant Sutton has always maintained that Tommy Griffin had left after after he and uh, Dillinger bailed bailed Tommy Griffin out of jail, right? They went and they went, bailed him out. They went and bailed him out. So Dillinger pays for all his drinks that night, and then bails him out of jail. But I they, know. But they, right? Yeah, that's still the same. You're my buddy. <laughs> you're my buddy. You're my buddy. Right. And there was no confrontational, no aggression, nothing. And, but yet supposedly they killed him. It just doesn't make a lick of sense. Um, but Sutton has always maintained his statement that after they bailed Tommy out of jail, Tommy left with a fat, ugly woman um, who was, according to Sutton, driving an older, dark colored boxy car. So, and, and, and for the record, um, When I went and spoke with this witness and he told me that he saw uh, an older boxy dark colored car leaving, fleeing the scene after hearing the shots. Um, as far as I know, I have not so far, I've, I've still got a few folders left to go through, but so far I have seen uh, really no mention of such a vehicle. So the fact that Sutton's statement is that Tommy left with this woman in that car. And now you've got this witness telling me that he saw a, a vehicle that matches the same description as Sutton's. That's two. That's two. That's not, there's no way anybody could have orchestrated that. You know, um, Sutton has, as, as far as I know, he's never spoken to this man. I, I don't see how it could be possible that he has. So this couldn't be something that they, you know, worked up together. It's just, uh, I think, I think this is, we're putting these pieces together and it's unfortunate. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's a, uh, it's a travesty, you know, that, um, law enforcement, especially, you know, it's been, now it's been 30 years. Oh crap. Longer than that. Uh, it was 92. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. 30, 30 years. Um, you know, 30 years ago, it, it should have been even easier to put this information, you know, to extract this information and put it all together. Um, here I am 30 years later, you know, piecing it together. And but like you said, they had, this is how it was going to be had, and everything had to fit into it. And if it didn't, they didn't bring it in the trial. They had their sights set. Yes, uh, it does seem that way. So um, then we've got the juror um, telling me that she was talked into signing the guilty verdict. Um, then you've got the other juror telling me that they drove the jurors by the crime scene every day. Then and the other juror. Who then you've got the defense attorneys that recognize their incompetence and asked to be relieved, but were denied their request. Then you've got expert witness, Dr. Harlan, who was investigated by the TBI and discredited. Um, several of his cases have uh, to date been overturned, but not this one. Um, defendant Sutton claims that the victim, Tommy Griffin, Griffin left the jail after being bailed out in a dark colored car with, with a, a fat, ugly woman. Um, although Griffin was never seen alive again, Sutton still, after spending 30 years of his life behind bars, still maintains his innocence. So in conclusion, for the reasons that I have laid out to you today, collectively, both new evidence and previously raised issues. There is no doubt in my mind that defendant Sutton suffered multiple prejudices that would have undoubtedly resulted in a different outcome had the state conducted its investigation with the level of due diligence and integrity that it is supposed to. Perhaps the most damning piece of evidence is the lack of actual evidence against defendant Sutton and the fact that the state knew that the only way that they would get a conviction on him was to try him uh, with Dillinger. Bingo. Right, mm -hmm. based on the assertion that he and Dillinger were together during this established time of death, which is also a big pile of <laughs> discredit crap, you know? Um, so, however, with the expert witness, Charles Harlan, having been, having been discredited, how can anyone say with certainty that this was the one of, of the rare occasions when Dr. Harlan's testimony could be trusted? The fact of the matter is that essentially none of the evidence that was used to convict either defendant has withstood the test of time. If one, if one were to stricken the illegal search warrant based on the perjured testimony, the testimony of the discredited uh, expert witness that established the time and date of death, the guilty verdict of, um, of a tampered with jury, the testimony of a witness who has provided a new statement expressing that the state put her maybe forth as certainty in effort to place Dillinger at the crime scene, and another witness whose account of seeing a boxy vehicle flee the crime scene was left out entirely. There would be nothing left to convict either defendant. Um, perhaps more importantly is the fact that the state failed to disclose exculpatory evidence that could have helped defend the defense develop an alternate theory. Failure to provide that exculpatory evidence is reason enough to grant the defendants a new trial, but 
there is little to no evidence left standing to even try them with. So in my opinion, my humble opinion, uh, and I'll say right here, and I'm not an attorney, but I just kind of feel like this is just, this is, this is almost, uh, it's just common sense um, that they really are left with nothing to try them with. So it seems to me that the only thing to do, the right thing to do is to exonerate Gary Sutton of all charges. That's, that is what I have to say, um, after my three and a half month long investigation into the, uh, murder of, of Tommy Griffin and the wrongful conviction of Gary Sutton. And where's my gavel? <laughs> so thoughts, concerns, anything? No, I, um, I, it's concerning that, that a suspect or a, whatever they're called, whoever the defendant, there we go. Right. Mm -hmm. it's, it's scary that a defendant can be, it's railroaded. Right. Because we know several that are, they're trying to railroad mm -hmm. and it's almost the same thing. And it all, somehow it comes down to, and this is terrible to say, and it does, shouldn't be. I already know what you're going to say, but might as it well. It comes down to, um, drum roll to, to who's schlong is bigger than the others you know <laughs> not what i thought you were gonna say no like <laughs> you know it's it's a competition yeah. oh i can't be wrong how many people have come and said that oh no no about you because they had to be right because they were the men well and that's, and that's what i was gonna say at the end of the day, you know, um, the truth is mighty and will prevail. That's right. Trust in God. Um, keep fighting for truth. And um, that's all we can do. That's it. So. All right, guys. Well, um, I guess we'll go ahead and sign off um, unless you had anything else you wanted to share. No, I don't have anything to share that's interesting. <laughs> My well, dog's doing great with his um, cadaver training. Good. I good. can't wait for some point to be able to go and, and actually search because yeah. I know a lot of people mm -hmm. um, would like searches, but we have to be able to get on the property and have to have signatures to be able to get on right. some property. Right. There's a lot of... However, there's a lot of stuff I would like to um, um, to do and um, we will be doing, but he's doing great. Great. That's good. That's good. Um, so everybody stand by because in the next uh, couple months, um, we're going to be hosting a, um, a uh, concert to raise awareness for Gary Sutton to try to uh, get the public just a little more involved in this case and and uh, fighting their for... eyes opened to what yeah the other yeah, side I of mean, it and the thing is you know 
I think there's a lot of people that just prefer to uh, stay out of it. But the thing is that this, this does pertain to everybody because like I said, I mean, I just mm-hmm. can't think of anything worse than that could happen than to be convicted of something, you know, a crime that you didn't commit. And to well, leave you want to trust, you want to trust those people. You want to trust them so much mm-hmm. and you don't want to see that this is happening. Mm-hmm. You just don't. It's just, yeah. um, it's something that that it's devastating and look who is here oh she's connecting connecting there she is um let's see if we can get her to join us her audio went off she turned her audio off oh don't do that carolyn come on and talk to us um well okay so uh, we're, we were just wrapping up Carolyn. Um, we can, we'll do another one later if you want to, um, talk a little bit as well, but we just really went over Gary's case and, and talked about some of the, uh, recent developments and without really naming names. And, um, so (laughs) I wish she would come on and say something, but all right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and end this. And um, until next time, we have a few cases right now to discuss. Um, I was, you know, pretty, um, I don't want to say excited, but but uh, I was anxious. I wanted to talk a little bit, a little bit about Sutton since, um, you know, I didn't really have a whole lot to say uh, from firsthand knowledge in our last podcast. But oh, there she is. I think she's I think she's coming on. Hello. Are you there? Carolyn? Carolyn? I hear something. It's a male talking. Oh, there she is. Carolyn? There. Oh. <laughs> it, it popped right. on. Yeah. We'll t- next time we'll do it early and um, get her up and going. Yeah. And I sent then, her a message, but I think it was too, too late, too last minute. Yeah, we like to pop things up and then put it off and then put it because we just are have chaos fly by the seat of our pants kind of gals <laughs> yeah yeah except it's like okay I gotta tell me at least ahead of time so I can put makeup on <laughs> all right well let's sign off so uh justice warriors hang in there keep fighting for the truth and we will see you soon Mwah. bye bye